0: Welcome to this episode of It's a Queer Thing. Today's episode is a little bit different in format, style and substance. Chris and I are not going to be doing our normal goofy things because the subject matter is not goofy. This is your trigger warning. Today's episode will be talking about self-harm and death by suicide of one of the transgender youth who lived here in Fresno. We have a very moving interview with Chloe's mother, Allison, who tells Chloe's story.
1: Hello, everyone. As Kalia said, this is a special episode, and it's about LGBTQ youth suicide. So I wanted to give a little bit of stats, some stats on this. LGBTQ youth are not inherently prone to suicide risk because of their sexual orientation or gender identity, but rather placed at higher risk because of how they are mistreated and stigmatized by society. This is from the Trevor Project's website. Some stats here. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among young people aged 10 to 24 and lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer and questioning LGBTQ youth are significantly at a higher risk. LGBTQ youth are more than four times as likely to attempt suicide than their peers. The Trevor Project estimates that more than 1.8 million LGBTQ youths aged 13 to 24 seriously consider suicide each year in the U.S., and at least one attempt suicide every 45 seconds.
0: That is a staggering statistic. Yeah,
1: when you break it down that way, uh, it's staggering. The Trevor Project's 2022 National Survey on LGBTQ Youth Mental Health found that 45% of LGBTQ youth seriously considered attempting suicide in the past year, including more than half of transgender and non-binary youth. And we will post, it's the Trevor Project.org. We will post it in the show notes. They are the ones that you can donate to. So they are manning the phones when people call to talk to LGBTQ youth who are having these thoughts. So uh, I think as LGBTQ people, all of us are connected to this in some way or another, whether we considered it or thought of it as a teen. I know I did. Kalia, did you?
0: Yes and no. I That's I, all right. Don't be afraid I, to say no. No, no I mean, I, I thought it. I never made a plan. And I know that that is one of the the things. Like I definitely had moments of oh, it would be better for so-and-so, these people, if I wasn't around anymore, you know, that kind of thought, but it never, it never went further than that. I'm very lucky. I'm very glad that it never, ever went further than that for me. I can tell you kind of bookending off of your statistics about suicide is that today's discussion will involve a suicide by use of a firearm and while it's not the exact same topic, I think it's important that this is a tangentially important topic. In 2020 and 2021, firearms contributed to the deaths of more children aged 1 to 17 in the U.S. than any other type of injury or illness. The child firearm mortality rate has doubled in the U.S. in a recent low of 1.8 deaths per 1,000 in 2013 to 3.7 in 2021. So... There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, political grandstanding around firearms and firearm safety, but we do know that access to firearms, as well as the lack of access to trans affirming care, are basically things that contribute to the mortality of our youth.
1: Yeah, and you will yeah, we we know that access to firearms not only affects the subject we're talking about today, which is LGBTQ youth it affects the whole country and there's a reason that firearms need to have less accessibility and that's because firearms are very likely if they are in the home to provide an access to violence whether that's against someone else or against yourself Um, and Allison in the interview today will talk about that but Kaylee I know you have something that's connected to this that you want to mention.
0: Well I, I you know You'll hear in the interview, Chris did uh, the lion's share of the of the talking to Allison. I was moved, of course, by Allison's story and, and the tragedy of Chloe, but this particular subject matter hits very close to home for me. My best friend died by suicide in the same method that Chloe died by suicide um, in 2019. So that's four years ago, but it still feels very, very fresh. And the date's pretty much line up in terms of when Chloe died and when my friend died and their birthdays are very similar. Both of them died right before their, their birthdays. And so it was, it was a difficult interview. And I really appreciate that Chris saw me just sitting over here crying, basically the whole, the whole interview and was able to step in and ask those important questions. And, and I'm really grateful that this show exists and we can give space to Allison to tell her story. I think it is very important that we keep Chloe's story alive. I think it's important that we keep the story of Mark Kenneth Garcia alive. I miss him every day. And I know, Chris, you've you've lost people in your life as well. I'm not trying to, you know, steal all the attention no, here. Or no, no. And I but... don't
1: want people to think because Kaylee wasn't very verbal in the interview it was because she was not interested she was extremely interested and touched and emotionally attached to this story because of what she just told you because of her best friend Mark who passed away and it was it was interesting and I don't mean to belabor this but you know I, I at one point during the interview I was chat, I was texting Kalia on the Zoom saying you know I'm dominating this interview don't you want to step in and she told me that you know, the date of Chloe's suicide was the same as Mark's suicide and their birthdays were very similar. So that's the reason that Kalia kind of stepped back during this interview. So
0: real quick, though, before we we listen to because we're going to let Allison's story carry us through, we're not going to come back at the end of the of the episode. Um, I know Chris is going to give you the number for the Trevor Project uh, for those you know, operators standing by, but also just in case the Trevor Project's not a thing you want to do, or for whatever reason, this is an easier number to remember, 988 is also a uh, suicide and crisis lifeline. So instead of 911, it is 988. Across he, the
1: nation, right? Across, it's a national number.
0: Yes, it is. And that is a new program that rolled out post-pandemic. And from what I have heard from people who have used it, it is a good resource and you can get help right away. So in those moments of crisis, when you feel like the world would be better off without you or that it's it's just, it's so hard, I, I beg of you to take a moment and reach out to somebody, whether that's this 988 number or the Trevor number or a friend or even posting something on Facebook and letting your community know that you're hurting because I guarantee you, people want you still. They want you to be here.
1: Absolutely. And so the number for the Trevor Project is one 488 7386 Or you can text them at 678-678. And Kaylee and I, it's touched both our lives, but we had a mutual friend who committed suicide a couple of years ago. And what we talk about in the show, upcoming interview and what Kaylee and I have talked about and my friends and I have talked about is that the tragedy of this is not just losing the person, but that most of us never even know that it's even close to happening. We don't even have a clue. So, And I don't know that that's going to change. I don't know that people who are going to commit suicide necessarily will tell you that they're distraught or they're in pain. But please, as Kalia just said, please, if if you have any hope at all, reach out to a friend or family member or whoever and say, I'm feeling this, what can we do? And we certainly would have reached out and helped our friends, so please do that.
0: And another thing is in hindsight, sometimes you can see patterns of behavior. And so I think it's important to acknowledge that we can be proactive, we can reach out. I have a lot of friends who are introverts and I make a point to make sure that I talk to them on a regular basis because I wanna make sure that they know that it's okay that we don't hang out but I'm thinking of them. And a text that says, I'm thinking of you. I saw this and I thought of you. No pressure to call me back, but I just wanted to let you know I love you. Happy birthday. Those, Those things, they do help people who are going through a depression. So if you have the spoons to reach out to your friends, even your friends who are quiet, who might seem like they've got it all under control, please do so.
1: Yeah. Just a text saying, how are you? What's going on? So they know that they're connected to you. We don't know that there's an answer to this. There probably isn't, but there are steps you can take to help. So let's get into the interview. This is Allison Murphy, whose daughter was Chloe Ann Lacey, born October 4th, 1991, died September 24th, 2010. So we are here today with Allison Murphy. Allie, how are you?
2: I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me on the show today.
1: Why don't you briefly tell us who you are and what you do?
2: So I am a long-term resident of the San Joaquin Valley. I actually live in Clovis and this is where I raised my daughter and I am involved in the local real estate community. I'm retired from the title and escrow side of the fence of it. And when 2008 happened, which was the uh, market crash, last market crash, at least I decided to become a signing agent and mobile notary. So I go do loan document signings all around Fresno and Clovis area for real estate transactions. And that's what I get to do. I get to meet a lot of amazing people.
1: Well, cool. And we will make sure we uh, tag your business uh, on the show. But what we're really here to talk about is your daughter, Chloe, who committed suicide. It was in 2010. Is that right?
2: That's correct. Okay. September 24th, 2010.
1: And why we really wanted to have you on the show was because we've been covering transgender issues for the last two months. Book bans, the disenfranchisement of LGBTQ people, trans people in particular, the backlash against them at schools and governments and libraries, etc. And the now what's going on in Clovis, which is the possible outing of kids um, if they decide to change their gender or their names or any pronouns, anything at schools. So... We're very interested in hearing your whole story about Chloe. Why don't you start with who your child was and how this all came about?
2: Okay, wonderful. Gosh, every time I get to speak about her, she lives. So thank you very much for, for asking me to speak about her and saying her name. Just saying her name is is seems to be hard for some people that knew her before she was able to come out. So I think that we've got a lot of things that we've got to discuss on the table. And so thank you for, for bringing this up. So I raised Chloe and in the Clovis area, she she was a cold bulldog and then she ended up being an Alta Sierra Bruin and then she graduated from Buchanan High School in 2009. And I was completely unaware and absolutely uneducated on what the word transgender even meant at that time. Not that I'm not an opening and firming person, I just hadn't been around it. So when she, after she graduated, she decided that she wanted to get away from the San Joaquin Valley and she took a road trip with one of her best friends, Ryan, and they took off in this 1972 Super Beetle and drove up and made a pit stop in Haighton Ashbury and wanted to check out San Francisco and they actually ended up in Humboldt County and they ended up on a beach called Clam Beach and that is, I think, where they found their little bit of paradise And, you know, at at the time I was worried sick about her because she called me once she reached Clam Beach and said, uh, by the way, she was the age of 17, so she wasn't quite an adult just yet, but she she would be in a few months. So when she called me, she said, Mom, I'm in Humboldt County and I about had a heart attack (laughs) 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 because I also know what goes on in Humboldt County.
0: (laughs) I was born in Humboldt County. I totally okay. understand. Yes. Okay.
2: I just gave her a strict direction to stay on the trails and do not deviate from those trails. <laughs> so, but, you know, little did I know then as her mother, I I know she was going and running away from from what was not here for her. You know, um, I know she was going to try to find herself and and try to find freedom to be free and authentic. And so me and the other mom um, of Ryan, we we came together because these two kids said that they were never going to come back. They're not coming back. This is their new home. And I wanted to respect her, even though I was having my own mom fears, of course, in that moment. And and, until I can find her some housing because they literally lived in that bug on that beach until we could figure out where they were going to be. So uh, the other mom and I, we found an old Victorian home where the second story was for rent for six hundred dollars a month, and we split the rent and got these these two kids in this uh, Victorian home on D Street in Eureka, and uh, we said, okay, we're going to support your 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 dream and your passions of what you want to do here. And she was a uh, uh, wanted to be a forestry major actually at Humboldt County University, Humboldt State rather, and so. I wanted to support her in her happiness. Um, at this time, I still had no clue of what she was about to share with me. And well, she graduated over the summer, and that was probably—I'm I'm taking a guess—maybe September-ish that she decided to be in Humboldt. And I bought her a train ticket to come home for for Christmas, and we had Christmas here. And I bought her uh, a bunch of clothes, thinking that she would need this for work and whatnot and I said honey you know I know it's hard for me to shop for you so if you if there's any of these clothes that you're not that you don't like or you'd, you'd like for me to take back you're not going to hurt my feelings just put them over there and I'll take them back well she put every single article of clothing off to the side and said mom I, I'm just th- these are not for me and I said honey no problem I'll get the money back and give you the money or we'll figure out something else so of course little did I know And we decided, you know, to just have a beautiful Christmas together. And we did. And it was time for her to go back home on the train. And so I took her to the train station. And even when I drive by the train station, my heart still skips a few beats because I would always wave to her as the train would leave town. And um, when she when she left, she started texting me. And the first thing she says, please do not call me. But I'm going to text you some information, and i'm I do not want to talk to you. I just want to text about it. And I knew it was serious, but had no clue what it was going to be. And then that's when she proceeded to begin to tell me that she was transgender. And she started explaining to me. And of course, as a mom, my brain is spinning, and I'm trying to focus on what she's saying. And I'm trying to get up to to par up to speed. i I had to Google the word transgender. I had no clue that this was even possible or a thing. And so, you know, I, I did the best that I could and sought out some, some therapy for myself so I can try to be a better mother and try to understand the the really sad part about this story. I'll, I'll just take a break there is that Chloe was very, very up to speed with who she was, of course. Well, we had a conversation about, I asked her, I said, honey, when did you know this about yourself? How did you discover this about yourself? And she said, well, mom, when I was in kindergarten and the segregation of the boys over here and the girls over there made me pause and ask the question, well, why am I having to be over here with the boys? This was the first time she had to be separated from gender, correct? Wow. So she knew then that she was different. She wasn't quite sure. And then she also started to explain that Maybe she was gay. You know, she had, she had, she has a, a as you know, Chris, a gay uncle. And um, so she thought maybe she was gay. And she really didn't, wasn't sure. She was trying to find herself. So, you know, from kindergarten all the way up until seventh grade, she came home from school and was watching uh, an Oprah Winfrey type show um, on TV. I was, of course, at work. And she had an epiphany moment because they were, They had transgender discussions going on on the show. And she says, aha, this is who I am. This is exactly who I am. And But then kept it inside. She had fear, right? Deep, deep fear. And that fear formed into a self-hatred. Completely undiagnosed. You know, this is seventh grade. So... From seventh grade all the way until after she graduated from Buchanan High School in 2009 and then decides to run and flee for her sanity all the way to Humboldt County. Then she decides to tell me, Hmm. well, she's been harboring this information for many, many years, you know.
1: And you had you guys had no clue, no, not Mm -hmm. whether gay or any of the LGBT letters. You didn't think at all that this uh, was even happening zero zero and i i I was doing a little reading Allie, before this and i read where chloe early in life decorated her room with camouflage and military stuff i mean you know very boy like stuff which is unusual when we hear about trans women
2: absolutely and thank you for bringing that up uh she was a very testosterone-type-filled kid, a BMXer, a mountain climber. She was amazing on the skateboard, sh- snowboarding. Camouflage was her thing um, in her room. She always wanted a camouflage comforter and all of that, ab- absolutely. and uh, She was a, an incredibly intelligent young person um, and was, for whatever reason, uh, was very interested in World War II and just war in general, the history of it, of course. <laughs> So there was not an inkling of me having a daughter at all. There was no, I want to have a doll to play with, or, you know, let's put on some makeup and play in our ballerina shoes. This was all full on testosterone. So it was quite surprising to me when she came to me. And then when I Googled the word transgender, you know, I had a lot of spinning going on in my head and in my heart, of course, in my head was trying to understand and my heart was my fear for my child
1: yeah yeah just so so people know when you mentioned her gay uncle um bobby lacy who was my best friend in elementary elementary school um so we have that connection just i just want to put that out there
2: thank you for saying bobby's name Uh, yes i miss miss bobby all the time yes yes and so i i wish bobby was here as we've said many times because i know that bobby would be a major influence on chloe's life and and you know we never know right we never know how it could have could have and should have really, really been. So um, I will back up a second and say the only thing that came out to me was when Chloe was around 16, she left me a note and asked me to buy some undergarments that were feminine. And I was shocked because she was 16. And what am I buying these for? A girlfriend? What is this about? I don't understand. I asked her the question and she didn't really give me any answers and i said honey why don't we go talk to a therapist why don't we get some counseling so we can we can get to the bottom of this and i'm going to give you i'm going to give you a day or two to think about that and if you would like for it to be a male counselor or a female counselor i want you to to tell me what you want and i'm going to make that possible for you well probably about 24 to 48 hours later she ended up saying mom don't worry about it it was just just a phase it's nothing um, just don't worry about it. Let's. I don't want to talk about it anymore, if you don't mind. Please don't bring it up again. And that concerned me for a while, you know, and I was trying to respect her, of course, and, and her boundaries that she was being pretty firm with. And I, I respected that, you know, maybe I should have pushed the issue. But uh, and, and looking back, there's a little bit of regret that I didn't. And, but I wanted to respect her boundary that she was placing for me. Well,
1: and as you said, this was in what year was this that this happened? This letter happened.
2: Oh, gosh. Well, she graduated in 2009 and she was 16, almost 17 at the time. So 2007. Yeah. 18. I mean,
1: really before the whole transgender conversation had burst onto the scene. So you didn't know.
2: Yeah. Correct. It Correct. Wasn't mainstream quite yet at that point. Right. Right. Correct. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So going back to Humboldt and and her living in this beautiful Victorian home on D Street with Ryan, um, you know, she wanted to be a forestry major and I was trying to encourage her to follow her dreams to do this. And And when she reached out to me after she was on that train, I said, I need you to come home so we can talk more about this, please. I want, I want you to be present here. And I was literally trying to talk her into coming back home. And that gave her major anxiety that she would come back to the San Joaquin Valley. Once she finally found a little place of peace and acceptance and a big, lovely circle of friends where she was literally dressing as her identity and her, her authentic gender in the home and had the friends come over and she would make dinner for people. And she had this beautiful circle of friends that were you know, affirming her. But when it came time to go out of the house to to do anything, she was terrified, absolutely terrified, to dress as Chloe. In fact, she would always wear a hoodie over her head and tightly zipped up, and it was just complete shame. Complete shame. In fact, after her death, her friends came to me and said that not only would she do that, but she, she also would shower with her clothes on and in the dark. Oh, wow. She had so much self-hatred and shame for, you know, her birth assigned gender that she, she couldn't handle it.
1: And the fear about coming back to the Valley, which I completely understand, right. even though she didn't have complete freedom in Humboldt County, she had some and she just felt like here, she couldn't really be herself at all. Is that right?
2: Absolutely. There's, there's, there's no way that she felt safe being here at all. And, and, I knew, you know, Humboldt's an eight and a half hour drive away. I knew it's not going to be easy for me as her mother to try and, you know, hold her hand and hug her and love her through this when I'm eight and a half hours away in the car. But at the same time, because I was not as educated then as I am as educated now, I was holding her accountable for being an adult as a parent should, right? Right. Little did I know that this, she was spinning inside and, a very dark spin, a very dark spin. And I learned most of that after she had passed from her friends. She had a she had attempted Chloe's death was she chose a shotgun, and she had had that gun in her mouth several times. and i I didn't know that.
1: Did you know she had she even had a gun?
2: Well, it is actually her roommate's gun, okay. And when she came home, I Let me back up here. I'm b- jumping all over the place, you guys. I'm sorry. I invited Chloe to come back home so that we can discuss this with her. And when she did come home, I I loved it. I took her to Kohl's and took her shopping and, and let her buy some clothes and some jewelry. And I just loved watching her. This was my first time being in her physical presence. And I'm just watching her in awe of this is really happening to my child. But look how happy she is. She knows that me, her mother, is supporting her. I'm going to whip out my credit card for her so she can have these clothes. And she's going from rack to rack and picking things out.
1: And in, in Fresno, so she was dressed as a female while she was doing this? and
2: She was not dressed as a female. Oh, okay. That was one of her greatest fears she never overcame. Oh, okay. But apparently she was beginning to, if she's in the girls' section, looking for women's clothes, girls' right. clothes. right. At the same time, I'm looking over my shoulder in fear for her of somebody maybe passing judgment and just making sure I'm being mama bear at the same time. And she came home and tried them on and just was all smiles. And and my brother was actually here visiting from Washington as well. He found a group, a local group, that he thought we should all go to as a family. And let's, let's discuss this. Well, that group ended up being trans emotion. Huh. And so we reached out to them and they said, we'd be happy to have you. Uh, Zoyer was was running it at that time. Right. And I remember going into the bathroom and doing Chloe's hair and makeup. Um, and I sadly never got one picture of that day. I wish I did because mm. as I was doing her hair and her makeup and I made her, I she was sitting down and I was looking down on her doing all of this for her. And as she looked up at me, because I was time to put her mascara on, it was literally like a sunflower just opening up its bloom with just this ray of peace.
1: Isn't that great?
2: Isn't that beautiful? My mom's doing my hair. She took me shopping today. She's doing my makeup. My family's here. We're going to go to this trans emotion meeting and maybe meet some people. I can only imagine the joy in her heart at that time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: So we ended up going to the meeting and it was, it was lovely. And, and when I met up with Zoyer years later, he said, I remember that meeting. And there's other people that were a part of trans emotion that also said they remembered it. And she came home and, um, she just was filled with so much joy, you know, something happened to her. I think it was the paranoia and the self-hatred again later that day, because she kind of had not kind of, she did have a, a, a mental breakdown, Chloe was so filled with anxiety and fear that she would literally cry so horribly to where she would even grab her hair on her head and shake her head. Mm. I even saw her punch herself in her head.
1: Oh, my gosh. Wow.
2: Because it was just so frustrating for her. You know, she's known all of these years who she is. Now the work begins because she's outed herself.
1: Yeah. And and she's not safe. That's that's the thing, you know. That's correct. There's so much that the LGB community and the trans community have come, has been been at odds with because the transgender community often says to us, you don't understand. And we don't because being trans is not the same as being gay or lesbian. I mean, I can relate to a lot of what you're saying about not feel, feeling safe, et cetera, but you know i am not trapped in the wrong body it's a completely different thing that we all you know have had to learn about
2: absolutely thank you for saying that because i can't imagine waking up in the morning and looking in the mirror and looking at my my body and discovering that i am literally in the wrong body
1: Right, yeah, and so many people don't understand this, and and I've I've done lots of reading on this, and if, in fact, Kaylee and I right now are reading a whole bunch of banned books from across the country to talk about on the show, and one of them is Gender Queer, which is a graphic novel. It's all pictures, but it's about this girl's journey from the boyhood to womanhood, and there's a section in here about what happens to people's brains and how that part... Because right now, I get so tired of this. Everybody's on the other side saying there's two genders. There's male and female. They don't even understand what gender is. And gender is, you know, in your in your head. It's in your brain. It's your identity. It has nothing to do with your sexual organs or your physical body. So I hope that someday we will all learn to understand this. But right now, it's a tough road. And I can't imagine what it was for Chloe's.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that because it it is really easy to have, uh, for some, it's easy for them to have sympathy, but it's very rare to find empathy in people.
1: Right, exactly.
2: And that's what we need more of. Yes. You know, be grateful that you're not dealing with this situation. Right. I'm not saying that you don't have your own trials and tribulations with your children or with somebody that you love, but when your child comes to you and says they're transgender, you have to get on board quickly.
1: Yeah. And you know, what offends me the most is when they say, especially with the kids, like we're going to talk about in Clovis schools and other places, you know, it's a phase or they're just experimenting or they don't know what they're talking about. And it's because people don't understand the brain and they don't understand gender is in the brain. It's just so offensive when they write it off. Again, they did with us as gay kids, they would write off, oh, you're just experimenting, you're just playing around, you don't know what you're talking about. But people know who they are
2: absolutely like she said what she said to me about being in kindergarten
1: right exactly that's,
2: that's facts I mean, for how, me. Did, how
1: do you even have that thought as a child in kindergarten at what age five or six mm-hmm. how does that even come into your head i'm on the wrong side of the room i mean that there is proof you know absolutely yeah
2: absolutely that's why i i stand strong on my soapbox of love mm-hmm. for the transgender community because when my child tells me that i believe my child Mm -hmm. Yes. What happened next? After uh, we came back from the trans emotion meeting, Chloe had this meltdown at the house. I was in another room and actually I was outside and my brother comes outside and says, you need to come in here. And Chloe was on the couch, just having hysterical, hysterical crying and doing the hair pulling and, and crying. And, and Mike says, she just told me that she has had suicidal thoughts. And she looks at me and she says, mom, I will never do that to you. Never. I'll never do that to you, mom. And she's just hysterical. And I just hug her so tight. We're going to get through this. We're going to, we're going to make it through this. Of course, I have all this fear in me. But again, this goes back to Chloe knowing since kindergarten that she's different. And now she's 18 years old as an adult. She needs everybody to get up to speed
1: with her. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: She's been, she's known this for many years and now she just wants to be true. She just wants to be authentic. Her biggest fear was the permanent side effects of the testosterone taking over.
1: Mm, Oh yeah.
2: She hated her Adam's apple. She hated her voice. She hated all these things. And she has done her own research. You know, Pandora's box was open for her with Google and, and researching on the internet that permanent damage will be helped starting if you don't get into therapy, which is also including hormone therapy.
1: Right. Which is what a lot of people misunderstand when they say, oh, you're, you're, you're mutating children by giving them hormone blockers and et cetera, et cetera. They don't understand that once you get to a certain point, it's, it's very hard to go back.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And she knew that.
1: So she shared with you that I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about The kinds of things, and you just did a little bit, the kinds of things she said to you about the things she didn't like about herself. Like she didn't like her physical appearance. Correct. Did she say anything more about, you know, feelings of being trapped in the wrong body?
2: Absolutely. At that time we knew this. Yeah. We, we knew this at that time. Um, When her friend shared in her death that she was showering with her clothes on in the dark, I, I didn't know that till after she'd passed away. That to me, showed the severity absolutely, of the trauma that she was experiencing inside. And as her mother, not realizing this at that time and looking back is very difficult for me because I know there's a lot of parents that are just discovering their children are transgender and you have to get on board quickly because the courage and the strength and the willpower it took for them to come to you and explain this to you. Is, is going to be defeating for them in the most tragic way if you don't affirm
1: immediately. Right, right. Immediately. Yeah. If you're open to talking about this, how did this all come to a head?
2: So I put Chloe on the train with her, with her clothes and her makeup that I gave to her and all of her jewelry and thought we were on a good start. And that's when I started looking for a therapist in Humboldt because of what she had said to me about, you know, being suicidal or having right. those thoughts and when she got there to back to Humboldt, her friends picked her up and she was so excited to show them all the clothes and they had a dress-up party and and everybody had a good time in fact the only picture that i have of chloe is the one chloe that uh picture that you know of
1: right the one that, that was, i yeah yeah
2: i've shared it often that's the that only was, one you have that's the only one i have of chloe
1: Oh wow. The wow. only
2: one in fact that came from dress up night.
1: I always wonder why that's the picture I see over and over of Chloe, but that's that's why it's the only one you had.
2: Yeah. Wow. That she's wearing my dress. The girls put makeup on her. They did her hair. And she's got this little sassy pose that she's doing in the picture. And you can see real joy in that picture. You
1: can. You can. That's what it's it's amazing looking at that photo because the photo is always accompanied by the story of a suicide. And yet you go, look how happy this person is.
2: Yes. Yes. So she had texted that to me and I, it was a wow moment. It was like, okay, we're on a good path here moment, you know. And so I, I sought out. Uh, I, I, she she went. This was already December, so we're going into the next year. This is 2010, and you can imagine how much she struggled from December of 2009 all the way to when she actually passed of September of 2010. I always go up there to camp with her on Labor Day weekend, so I went up there camping with her on Labor Day weekend, and I know she had been in and out of her struggling. And at the same time, I'm trying to hold her accountable because I'm still paying her rent and she still does not have a job. But then again, looking back, I I fully understand and have empathy for her that she didn't even want to leave the house. Mm -hmm. So this was almost an impossible mission for her until she can get into therapy, you know. So I did find a therapist that was literally within a five minute walking distance from her home. And this was after I had left the camping trip with her on Labor Day weekend. And she just said, Mom, you're wasting your money. You're wasting your time. I'm not going to go to a therapist. And they're just going to all of a sudden fix me in a hot second. And this is this is just not working. And so that was in September. Uh, it was the second week of September. And so I was reaching out to her friends while, while she was – up there still. And I was asking questions about how she's doing. And there was this real struggle between me and Chloe of me trying to ask for information and, and, you know, okay, what are we going to do next for the, for the rent for next month? I I need you to just come home because I can't continuing to pay rent if you're not going to be able to find a job. So there's also a parental role, but then there's also a severity of a major depression and major severe anxiety of what she was dealing with. And I don't think as her mother, even that I realized the magnitude of how severe it was.
1: I think that's really important because um, all of us, Kaylee and myself, you, many, many millions of people have been touched by people in our lives who killed themselves. And ultimately, everybody kind of says the same thing. I had no idea because you just can't see what's going on in somebody's head and they choose or choose not to show it. And. We all feel like that when someone kills themselves. We always feel, I could have done something. Why did I do this? you're Like you're saying, you regret this, you regret that. Of course, we can't, it's not logical to do that. But the emotional side of it is, yeah, why didn't I see this? And the, the truth is, you're not going to see it. Most of the time, you're not going to see it. Yeah. At least to the degree, you saw it, but you don't, you just didn't see the degree that it was. And I don't think it's possible because she was keeping it inside. Yeah. Correct. Correct.
2: And and this is nothing against her roommate, but it was her roommate's gun. And they had texted me once and said she was, you know, has had thoughts of taking the gun. And I remember telling the roommates, you need to get rid of the gun, yeah, get rid of the gun. And I'm trying to find time to come back up there. And they texted me, well, we took all of the ammunition out of the house. And I said, well, it's not really good enough, but if, if you're sure that you have all the ammunition, then... We're going to, we're just going to go from here because he had really nowhere to leave the gun anywhere
1: else. I mean, you can buy ammunition. So
2: that's absolutely what happened.
1: Yeah. Is it really?
2: I don't know how she obtained it, but it only takes one shotgun pellet casing. As the month went on, there was a real struggle again between me and her to figure out what we're going to do next because she absolutely did not want to come back here. She was spinning. She was spinning inside and she had fallen down the rabbit hole so far that she wasn't even able to have clear and calm conversations anymore and the therapist she would deny so I couldn't help her with that the day she actually decided to take her life was a day where she was spinning profusely and I remember texting her friends I need you to go check on on her well they were all at work and they said we will go do it as soon as we get off of work And I was also at work and explaining, you know, I'm going to be coming up there and one of her girlfriends says, well, we're going to have a dress up night tonight. When I get off work, I'm going to I'm going to call her and say we're going to have a dress up night tonight. Maybe that will help her bring her out of her hole again, out of her darkness again. Yeah. And I I probably had seven or eight clients I had to meet that day. And uh, in between some of my clients in the afternoon, I got a voicemail from Chloe. And tragically, she said. I'm just so tired of this. I'm just going to shoot myself.
1: Oh my God.
2: I didn't get to get to that voicemail till later in the day. And when I did, I was scared to death because she wasn't answering her phone. So I reached out to her girlfriend. She says, I'm just about off work. We're getting ready to go over there. I said, please keep me posted because she's not answering. And I had another client after that. While I was in that client signing their loan documents with them, I got a text message saying the entire street is blocked off. There's police tape everywhere. There's an ambulance and a fire truck. And I immediately knew. How do you not know when she leaves a voicemail like that? Of course. And so I tried to call the, the, the sheriff or the the police officers and find out what was going on. And of course it was confirmed. Um, her roommate came home from, from work and, and found her. And it, it was his gun.
1: Did she leave a note? She did
2: not leave a note.
1: Which is another really difficult part with suicide, even though you know what was going on, that we don't get some answers after the fact. Yes. Yeah.
2: I feel terrible for her friend Ryan because he's the one that discovered her and it, and it was his
1: his gun. his gun. Yeah. Yeah, he, I'm sure, will live with that with the for the rest of his life. The same way we all live with things. Like, Why didn't I do this? Why did I do this? It's And that's a particularly tragic one. Absolutely. So so Allison, the, the reason we wanted you to come on and tell Chloe's story and your story is because of what we were talking about earlier, what's going on in Clovis schools where they are now threatening to out trans kids who decide while they're at school to use a, a different pronoun, a different gender. Talk about now with foreknowledge of what you were going through before when you didn't even have, you didn't even know what transgender was. And I'm sure Absolutely, positively, a lot of people out there still don't know what transgender is, even though it's everywhere, talked about everywhere now. What would you tell a parent about why we need to protect children's identities?
2: Well, I think that I would say, especially in this area, that you you need to listen to your children. Your children know who they are. And when you're in a situation, like I'm in a situation with my daughter coming to me, you need to find out information. What are they trying to tell you? Go to a therapist, listen to your children. If you don't offer them a safe haven and a safe place for them to be truly and authentic of what they're trying to share with you, where do you think they're going to turn?
1: Right.
2: Where are they going to go? You have to be their safety. You have to be their net.
1: Which I think schools have always had this policy of being a safety net, just like you said, for children. And now it seems as far as it relates to LGBTQ kids, particularly trans kids, they're deciding that the parent is the one that needs the safety net instead of the child. I just, it's so ironic and hypocritical.
2: Well, you know what I would say to that, Chris, is, okay, what if they don't have a family or a parents that are stable emotionally mentally to be able to be that safety net for them what if if home is not the safe place exactly and what if the only safe place that they have is the school
1: yeah and I think people automatically think just because we're people oh home is safe we all you know that idea is in the back of everybody's head but that is just not true
0: think of the number of uh, LGBT homeless youth out there right yeah it's astronomical. And some
1: of them are literally just kicked out by their parents once they find out that they're a member of our community. I didn't come out until I was 20. For that reason, and I knew way back, the same way you talk about Chloe knowing about kindergarten, I knew about that time too. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew I was different than everybody else. And I You know, this is in the 60s and early 70s when I grew up, but I couldn't tell anybody. I mean, it was too dangerous. And this is the world that transgender people live in and a lot of LGBT people live in Um, today. It's too dangerous, not just in the streets, in public, but sometimes it's dangerous at home. And school is the only place they can express themselves and get some relief from all that anxiety that you've been talking about with Chloe.
2: Absolutely. I mean, when you have... You know, uh, a child that is expressing severe depression, severe anxiety, and they come to you with this problem, as I've stated before, they've known for many years. So now they're they have this expectation that they finally had the courage to tell you and they're exhausted inside by just telling you, you have to be able to pick up the flame for them and and, and move forward for them and protect your child, because you know, I always when I tell Chloe's story, I can tell in some people their reactions. Not my child, not my problem.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh. Wow. Right? Yeah.
2: I've never had to deal with that. Not that they're being disrespectful to me, but they can't relate to what I've been through. And they can't relate to what Chloe's been through. Mm-hmm.
1: But I, I and I, I agree with you there. And I I, I hear you because sometimes I get that from people too. It's when I talk about the community, they're like I don't have anything to do with this. I'm like, if you're a human being on the planet, you have something to do with this. But they think this transgender idea is so foreign to them that they literally think, oh, yeah, I I can't talk about that. What's the point of talking about that? Because a lot of times they just think the kids are acting out.
2: It's dismissed immediately in their head. That's why right. I say empathy is lacking.
1: When I came out to the community, I didn't understand trans people at all. I was very ignorant, and I made a point to go out and learn about it. I don't understand with some people why empathy only extends to people that are like them. I've never understood that. I think probably because growing up gay, I was super sensitive to racial inequality and civil inequality and all of that stuff because I knew I was being discriminated against. So, so the worst thing I ever see is where it's a person of an ethnic persuasion, a black person, an Asian Asian person, a Hispanic person who are prejudiced against another group. I'm like, how can that even be in your head? Because you're discriminated against. You know, the only people that aren't discriminated in this country are cis white men. There you go. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I've got the privilege of being able to pass with that a lot of my life. So, But people who are trans, they can't because that image of, their outer body is not who they are in their head. It just must be torture.
2: Absolutely. But you know what? I I have been given the gift to be able to speak for Chloe in her death. And I was given the gift to be a part of the documentary trans. And by being a part of that documentary and and telling her story in the most loving way that I can, I don't want to shake my finger in people's faces and say, you better get on board because that's not going to win. Sugar is going to bring in more bees. You know, and because of the documentary, and because I continue to softly and lovingly explain my child's story, I have had parents or family members, many of them, come to me privately and send me messages in whatever way they could and say, Thank you for telling Chloe's story. Because of you, I had a little bit more empathy, or I understood a little bit more because my child has come to me your story about Chloe helped me be more empathetic when my child came out.
1: Yeah. And that's why I say all the time, more of us in the community and you as an ally need to come out and be vocal because I hear what you're saying. Sometimes you feel like, what can I do to change these people's minds? And you know me, Allie, I fight with conservatives all the time. And I'm like, (laughs) what do I do to change your mind? And I agree with you, a lot of times it's just being there, being vocal, somebody in the background, you may not even know about it, is gonna hear you and it'll tweak something. So you know, when people say, Chris, why do you keep doing this? Why do you talk about this and argue about this all the time? I'm like, because I want one person in the back of the room to hear what I have to say. If I had had that when I was a kid, It would have been very helpful. So you are you're a you're a terrific ally and thank you. You know, what you have done and how you have educated yourself and come out into the community after Chloe's death is just nothing short of spectacular.
0: Like you were saying, it there needs to be other voices because if the only voice that is speaking is a bigoted, horrible voice, then that's the only sound out there. So we have to we have to talk back because otherwise they're talking alone. And so nice. I do think it's important to to speak up and to be that voice. And it's, an, it's a beautiful legacy that you're doing for Chloe. Thank it's you nice. so much for saying that.
2: <laughs> now you're touching my heart.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I was going to ask you, but you actually just answered it. I was going to ask you, what do we say to people to, to create change? What do we say to the schools when we go there to the school boards and say, when they are saying parents have a right to know? because On the one hand, as a human being, I can understand at least how that argument makes sense to them, that we have a right to know. But on the other hand, I would think, just like it's evident in your case, if you were open to this, your child would have told you. So it's clear. So what would you say to school boards who are throwing this out there?
2: Well, that's pretty much it, Chris. You know, these these kids, they've dug deep for the courage to tell a friend that they felt safe with you know, and maybe a few friends, maybe they've told a a, a counselor at school that they know identifies as a part of the LGBTQ community. But what if this was your child? What if this was your child? I know it's not, but what if it ends up being your child?
1: Or it might be your child and you don't know it. That's what I'm saying.
2: Yeah. Five years, 10 years down the line.
0: My fear is that parents want to know so that they can, you know, try to indoctrinate the other direction or conversion therapy or, well, we'll get you into counseling. We'll get you to church. We'll get you X, Y, and Z place. And they'll talk this out of you. It's a phase, yada, yada, yada. And that's obviously not helpful and and detrimental to the health of the child, but it is definitely, we don't know what they're going to do with that information, I guess, is the thing. And I feel like at this point, it's, it's a child's right. It's a human's right that I think that we should be able to come out when, and if, and to whom we choose. And I think that that is across the board, whether you're a 15 year old, who's figuring it out, or you're a 45 year old, who's kind of figured it out, or you're 70 years old. And it's like dawning on you that this is your authentic self when, and if, and to whom you choose. And I think when we take that choice away from children about who they get to come out and when they get to come out it's it's that's not good and it's the opposite of suicide prevention
1: right exactly
0: i a thousand percent
2: agree with you because that is actually what has been happening and why we're here today trying to make a change by you doing conversion conversion therapy by you taking your child to church and having the Bible beat it out of them is just going to be pushing them further down their own rabbit hole of darkness.
1: Right. And you know, I, my family ended up being for the most part accepting of me, but I told my mom I was gay as I was going into surgery. I don't know if I've ever shared this story with you, Allie, but when I woke up, the first thing she said to me was, um, we're going to get you to a psychiatrist, and in my mind, all I heard was, "You want me to change? You want me to be somebody else?" Whether it, whether that was going to be a supporting psychiatrist, I don't think so. Yeah. I think it was going to be, "Let's talk you into liking girls again." So when you say that to kids, and I can see how Chloe would have been resistant to that because I think as LGBT people, our first thought is, "Okay, you want me to be somebody other? You're somebody other than I am." Even though for you, Allie, it was a totally supportive move. I I understand Chloe's thoughts. Sure. Thank you so much for doing this because we're specifically doing this so we can, like you said, reach somebody out there who may be going through the same thing. We've talked to a few parents in the last couple of months about having trans kids. And um, the it, it, one thing that they have all shared, that it has been incredibly difficult, but that somebody somewhere else either saw what they said or read what they said and said thank you.
2: Absolutely. I would say as a parent Growing up in conservative Clovis, going to Clovis Unified School District, growing up in pretty much a a semi-conservative family, not knowing what any of this is or not being around any of this, I have learned the most of my education in Chloe's death because I didn't have much time with her. When she came to me literally nine months later, she shot herself. So... Not only that, she was eight and a half hours away in a car and she was severely depressed. So I would just say to other parents, your children know what they're saying when they're coming to you. You have to you have to listen to them and sit down and be empathetic and and be loving and tell them we are going to get through this together. How can I as your mother support you to be happy? How can I as your father or your parents or whatever they're their living situation is support you to be able to be truly authentic and live your best happy life. If you don't have that, that critical engagement at home with your parents. If you don't have the safety net at home with your parents, if your parents are alcoholics or they're drug using drugs and you just don't feel that safety and you know for sure you're not going to be able to have a safe place and an affirmation with them, you have to have that at a school level. You have to. That's so imperative. That's their only way
1: and it turns out it's constitutional free speech for kids which is why the Chino uh, school district is getting sued by the the state attorney general right now for what they've done over there.
2: Well, I think that the transgender law center is going to have a have wonderful cases to to have victory victory in when it comes to this because this is this is wrong. You're pushing them towards the dark side. Right? Yeah, Just yeah. because I, you want to have the control as their as their parent and you have this idea in your mind of what your child is supposed to be and what they should be and what you want them to be. And you've, you've had this in your mind since they you gave birth to this child. Your child is telling you, that's not my journey. You have to listen to them.
1: And I would say also to people out there, educate yourself. Uh, you know, no one is expecting you to automatically understand what it's like to be trans or gay or lesbian or queer or anything. Yeah. but there's information out there there's the internet there are books um i went like i said i read book after book about trans people because i wanted to be under, understand and be on their side so that's what I, I i agree with everything you said and i would also say please educate yourself it's not that difficult
2: it is not yeah. that difficult and i'll give you an example of that both of my grandparents i love my family dearly but both of my grandparents when they passed away in the obituaries for both of them separately my family decided to make a decision and dead name my child. Um, uh,
1: and this was after, after Chloe had absolutely. passed. Absolutely,
2: my, my grandmother oh. just passed away last year. Oh wow. My grandfather was two years prior. So I sent them a text message and said, gave them a the definition of dead naming. Please don't do this. This is what you're doing. This is disrespectful to my child.
1: And they had probably never even heard that term, which they is why you need to educate yourself. Correct. People get out and yeah. read a couple of books.
0: Correct. Even those of us in the community doing activism work bump up on phrases and words and jargon that we have to learn and, and concepts. So it, obviously, everybody has to do that. Yes, it
2: doesn't take that hard to hit the Google button. I mean, it doesn't take right. that many steps to do that. We all have devices now. So, Chris, you just bring up a wonderful element to this whole discussion. Please educate yourself before you fly off the handle with your child.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is what's behind racism, discrimination, prejudice, all of this in the around the country is education. Just read up on it. Talk to somebody who's in the community. I guarantee you, you've got people in your family that are in our community. They may not be vocal about it, but they are there. You know, it's it's interesting what Kaylee was saying before. That what's interesting about the LGBTQ community we always talk about numbers what are the numbers what percentage of people are lgbtq plus i think you know because people are coming out especially women in their 60s and 70s and deciding to be with a woman after they've been with a man and raised a family these are people that only did it because they had they saw an opening at a certain point in their life which is usually older and they did it which means there are a whole bunch of other people out there like that Mm Absolutely. so our numbers are bigger than they say they are
2: Last I heard, one in every 500 children is transgender.
1: Yeah. Wow.
2: How many kids are at Buchanan High School?
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Allie, for doing this. We are so excited to share this story and honor Chloe by doing that.
2: Every time we say her name, honey, she gets to live. I just want to tell you both, thank you so very much for giving me the opportunity to be able to speak and be Chloe's voice on your show. Thank you so much. I love you.